and welcome back to Curious Medicine. I'm Christy. I'm Brian. And today we're talking about cataracts. Brian, um, have you ever had a cataract? <laughs> I have not had a cataract. Um, the closest I've come to any type of eye injury, um, I was in the military and I served in Afghanistan. And while I was there, and uh, it's a pretty dusty, dirty environment, I had this really intense pain in my, I think I believe it was my right eye. And uh, I wound up having to go to the medic aid station to have them look at it. And it turned out it was just uh, a piece of dirt that scratched <laughs> like scratched my cornea, I yeah, guess, a little bit. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking, and I remember one of the guys goes, yeah, so you're here just for a piece of dirt in your eye, really? <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, can you please, like, put, like, a big bandage over <laughs> it or something, like an eye patch, something. So when I go back, I have a story and not just, it's just a piece of dirt. But, yeah, that's all <laughs> Can it you send me back like a pirate? <laughs> yeah, please. I know you have an eye patch in there somewhere. But, yeah, I never was able to live that one down. Like, I went all the way to the aid station just for... <laughs> Uh, piece of dirt in my eyes. So. They're like, oh, he's trying to get out of work. What about you, Christy? Do you have you had any cataracts? <sighs> no, I haven't had any cataracts. And ironically, I've I've just been to see several eye doctors very recently. But when I was, I do have a story about myself. When I was in college, I was finishing up my my first degree, and it was near the end of the semester and I was driving to work. I was dry. Actually, I had clinic the first half of the morning and then I had to go to class in the second half of, of the day. So I was driving to my clinical rotation and I was trying to put my makeup on in the car. <laughs> I know where this is going. And I had, and I had just uh, sharpened my, my eyeliner pencil right before I got in the car, I sharpened it at, at the house. And so I was trying to put my eyeliner on in the car and I guess what I'm imagining is, is that one of those wooden shavings got into my eye and, and I thought, I thought it was in my eye because right after I put my eyeliner on the rest of the drive to my clinic site, my eye was just, oh my God, it hurt so bad. And my eye was tearing and it was red and I kept rubbing it and I was like, oh my God. And I was trying to look in the rear view mirror and see if I could find that little wooden shaving. I think I might have even pulled over to the side of the road. I was like, it was dark outside still and I couldn't see. And I was just like, oh my God. And by the time I got to clinic, I was just miserable. And of course, at that time, I was a student and, you know, I didn't really know the staff at that clinic site that well. And I was desperate for help. And I worked up the courage to go ask the nurse, um, one of the nurses, I said, hey, can you please look in my eye and see what's in my eye? Because I had been in the bathroom and like done everything but stand on my head to see what is in my eye. And I said, I think I have something in there. And she looked and she got out her little flashlight thing and she looked and then she, you know, irrigated it. And it still was hurting. And the problem was, is that, is that that afternoon in my classroom, I had my like a final exam. This exam was, you know, everything we learned in this program. And it was several hundred questions. And it was supposed to be kind of like the registry exam that we take to get our license. So whatever I made on this was probably going to be indicative of how I do on the actual registry exam. And it would also determine my grade for the semester. And so... <laughs> Being the nerd that I am, I really wanted to do well. And so I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm not going to be able to go and take my test as long as I'm feeling like this. Like, I can't see. I can't. I cannot stop rubbing my eye. 
And so the nurse said, I think maybe you scratched it. Like, it sounds like you scratched it because there's nothing in your eye. And I'm like, yes, there's something. (laughs) She's like, no, there's nothing there. You need to go to the eye doctor and they can, you know, they can, they can put some um, ointment like lidocaine ointment or something and um, to get you through and it'll, it'll heal, you know. So I went to the eye doctor and they put some, you know, anesthetic ointment in my eye and it felt better, but it was funny because like the eye that had the problem was there was no makeup on that eye and it was red and it was swollen and my other eye looked completely normal. <laughs> so I remember walking into class and my teacher was like, what the hell happened to you? I'm surprised they weren't like, you need to leave him, girl. <laughs> she was like, do you have pink eye? I was like, no, no, I don't have pink eye. I just scratched, I just scratched the cornea and, and it's, it's going to be fine. But I was so grateful to to go and be able to take my test. But yeah, it's um, having eye problems is no fun. I've talked about my dry eye syndrome oh, yes, <laughs> a couple yes, of times yes. on this, and that's that's in its own right a little. Well, um, I also have very long, luxurious eyelashes that <laughs> seem to curl into my eyeballs, which oh, is really? really frustrating. Yeah, ever oh. since I was a little kid, my sisters or my uh, my daughter's the same way. She has really long eyelashes too. Same thing; they get tangled up. So yeah. Nobody likes a braggart. It's hard being that this beautiful. <laughs> it's hard. Yes. It's hard having those long, luxurious eyelashes. But I've never had a cataract. Okay, so before we talk about cataracts, we need to have a teeny tiny anatomy lesson. Ooh, I'll we're keep going it to school. brief. Yes, we're going to school. The cornea is the clear part of the front of your eyeball. Okay, that's the thing that if you wear a contact lens, the contact lens sits over the cornea. That is not where cataracts are formed. <laughs> Cataracts are formed inside the lens. People might get confused then thinking the lens and the cornea are the same thing. They're not. The lens is a structure that sits behind the iris. The iris is the colored part of the eye, and the lens is right behind that. The lens is made up mostly of water and proteins. It's clear. It's completely clear, ideally, <laughs> when, it's, when it's a normal lens. And it is suspended by these little fibers all around its periphery to keep it sort of hanging in the balance that it hangs in in the back of your iris. It acts like a magnifying glass inside your eye. And the lens has three clear layers. So if we think of a peanut M&M, the capsule, the lens capsule would be the outermost layer, like the colorful candy coating. The cortex is the middle layer, which would be like the chocolate layer. The nucleus is the innermost layer, and that would be like the peanut. So going forward, when we talk about the lens and cataracts and everything, that would be helpful if you you know that. Get a bag of M&Ms and start eating them. No, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Additionally, if you're not driving and you want to look at a cross-section of the anatomy of the eye, that might also be helpful for this conversation if you're not familiar with the basic anatomy of the eye. So Brian, tell us about cataracts. What are cataracts? Well, Christy, cataracts are a clumping of proteins within the, within the lens, which limits the amount of light that's actually reaching the retina. When people have the um, kind of the whitish film over their eye, mm-hmm. that's, what a, that's a cataract. And so in ancient times, the ancient people thought that, they, that the space between the pupil and the lens was empty. And the, the, that this empty space became occupied by what they called a corrupt, thick humor flowing from the brain, which eventually solidified. And so they, 
made the connection that this is basically coming from your brain and solidifying mm-hmm. in the lens to create that that white film. The first person to conceive of the idea of the cataract as an opaque lens reported to be around 1643, and this was a Parisian physician by the name of Francois Quaret. And so that's pretty good French, huh? That is, yes. And, and I'm glad you had to say it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got another one coming. In 1651, Remy Lesnier, an oculist and lithotomist, presented uh, this idea in a thesis before the College of Surgeons in Paris. And in 1656, uh, speculations were confirmed by Werner Rolfnick. Uh, This notion that cataracts forms within the lens wasn't readily accepted by the medical community, and it wasn't until about the 1700s when Pierre Brissieux, Oh, I'm rocking it right you now. You are. You are. The physician-in-chief in of uh, Royal Hospitals performed dissections before the Royal Academy of Sciences in 1705. The true nature of cataracts was finally recognized and established that this is what was going on, and it wasn't like some humor coming from the from the brain. It's Before you move on, it's interesting that that Remy guy in 1651, <laughs> that, that he was an oculist and a lithotomist. What an interesting career Yeah, 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 yeah. I think at that time, maybe you didn't necessarily have to do a fellowship. <laughs> you just kind of were like, yep. yeah. Yeah, So uh, cataracts are actually the leading cause of avoidable vision loss and blindness. Surgery for cataracts is one of the... Um, most common surgical procedures performed in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these, uh, this type of deformity develops slowly and can be in one or both eyes, uh, but it doesn't spread from one eye to the other. And in most cases, cataracts don't disturb vision early on. Um, based on what's causing the cataracts, they can form within any of the three layers that you just mentioned. Specifically, specific visual symptoms may help differentiate in where the cataract is forming, which layer of the eye the cataract forms in. Mm-hmm. And knowledge about cataracts and then how to treat them or get rid of them was a very important thing for medical practitioners in the medieval times and ancient times to learn because blindness was a major cause of morbidity or you know a major cause of, of um, death. In fact, speaking of the medieval times, medicine differentiated physicians, surgeons, and barber surgeons from what they called irregular healers or quacks. We've talked about this uh, before in our barber surgeon episode, but among these quote unquote irregulars were eye specialists called oculists and also cataract couchers, uh, which we're going to get into in just a minute about what cataract couchers were, what they did. Uh, but these guys were very important because cataracts were very common and required surgery, eventually required surgery. These irregulars or oculists were very often highly skilled and had performed many of these operations. Unlike physicians and surgeons who had little to no experience performing eye surgeries because they were reluctant to operate on cataracts or anything really. That again, that goes back to our barber surgeon episode. In 1640, a medical professor wrote that when a cataract surgery became necessary, and especially because the outcome was so uncertain, quote, it should be left to the itinerant quacks who practice it, <laughs> unquote. <laughs> so yeah, physicians for sure did not want to touch these things. So there are a lot of things that can cause a cataract. The most common reason for cataract formation is just the advanced aging process. So those are called senile cataracts. They occur f- more frequently in women than in men. But other causes include exposure to UV light, smoking, diabetes, steroid use, obesity, uh, radiation exposure, 
trauma, certain genetic disorders, uveitis, which is a form of eye inflammation, congenital. Some babies are born with these. Um, It can be a genetic problem, an environmental problem. And in children, if cataracts are not treated, they can lead to permanent blindness because the vision fails to develop properly. So, Chrissy, do you know where the word cataract actually comes from? Um... I want to. Oh my God, this week has been so crazy. Um, Is it like a waterfall thing or something? Was that a guess? I feel like there's something about a waterfall. You are correct. Oh, good. 200. I'll take. What is a cataract for two? Where does the name come from? Oh, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't say it in the form of a question. So, actually, yes, it comes from the Greek cataractus, which means fall of water. Some symptoms of cataracts are uh, difficulty seeing at night. I should probably say this like one of those commercials. Like, Yes, do that. I love it when <laughs> do you do you experience that. difficulty seeing at night, fading and yellowing of colors, halos or green flare and, or glare in field of vision, clouded or blurred vision, frequent changes in prescription eyeglasses, headaches from bright light, squinting or closing eyes in response to bright light, or double vision in a single eye. Good job. You sounded so professional. You know, what's funny is that my mom got told like two weeks ago that she has a cataract. She didn't have any symptoms, though. She, oh, that's right. You told me Well, that. no, I take that back. The only symptom that my mom had was that she was having frequent changes in her prescription eyeglasses. She had she had just gone to the eye doctor like six months ago and her prescription was no longer effective. So she went back to the eye doctor and they said, oh, yeah, you've got a cataract. So I think they're going to wait six months to go ahead and operate on it. Are they going to couch it? (laughs) Well, I hope not. But it was interesting because I got so excited when I realized she had one. (laughs) My sister, I was in a group text between my mom, my sister and myself. And and my mom texted us and said, well, I have a cataract. I'm going to have to have surgery. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so exciting. (laughs) So, Christy, I asked if your mom was going to uh, uh, have a couching expert come and work on her eye <laughs> couching expert yes um, i was trying to think of another way to say uh, that yeah. but yeah i don't think <laughs> what i'm hoping is that she has a medical doctor yeah. <laughs> because medical doctors in the united states anyway do not practice couching right so for people wondering what i'm talking about when i say couching i'm not talking about what we've all been doing during this pandemic and sitting on the <laughs> couch and watching netflix couching is actually a procedure with, where a coucher uh, inserts a needle into the eye for the purpose of displacing the the, the cataract affected lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and how this is done is evolved over time, and we'll mm-hmm. get into that and how the the technique has um, you know morphed into what we do today to be able to fix cataract lenses. But it was it's a fascinating history, which I'll go over briefly. The earliest mention that we have of any kind of of ocular surgery is in the Assyrian Code of of King Hammurabi. Um, and that was in ancient Babylon, where they talk about the schedule of payments. And I think we've touched on this in other episodes. But basically, they don't really mention couching directly, but they do talk about eye surgery, which in, the assumption is it was more than likely done for, for cataracts. But the schedule of payments outlined that should the site be restored, then the physician or the eye, eye surgeon would be paid. Mm-hmm. If the person were blinded or <laughs> some other trauma, then a finger would be removed <laughs> from the surgeon. So talk about malpractice. So uh, in terms of of cataracts and couching, the earliest documented cases of cataracts that we have comes from a museum in Cairo where a small statue 
of a priest has a white patch carved into the eye and mm-hmm. it was done deliberately. It wasn't like it was just a, Oh, this has been sitting out in the sun too long. Yeah. And they clearly made a point of saying this person had some sort of white deformity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so wall paintings also show a, an oculist. I keep saying occultist. That's why I'm laughing when I say that <laughs> word, an oculist treating the eye of a craftsman. And so uh, there was a chief physician in fifth dynasty where there are writings on the walls and some of the tombs that hint that cataract surgery was performed. And one tomb contained over 30 bronze surgical tools, including several needles used in eye surgery. Basically, the, the needles that they used were made of copper, where a surgeon used the lancet to push the clouded lens into what they call the vitreous body. And that's basically the liquid part of the, the eyeball, if mm-hmm. you want to make it really simple. Um, as we were preparing for this episode, we were looking at some of the anatomy and we're like, this is you have to pull over and pull out an anatomy chart to really (laughs) follow along. So we're trying to make this as easy to follow as possible because we are not eye experts at all. So at least I'm not. Yeah, no, me either. So the next major region that, that really developed couching in particular in dealing with cataracts is India. And a very famous guy named Maharshi Shashruta, who is an Indian surgeon, is considered to be the father of a few different uh, <laughs> uh, medical practices in India. He was a pioneer in plastic surgery. Um, I think we mentioned him when we did our uh, hemorrhoids. Yeah, Shashruta, just just get real comfortable with that name because yes. he's going to be talked about over and over and over again. He just, he, he was quite the guy. He really was. And he took existing techniques, which you'll elaborate on a little bit, mm-hmm. and actually refine them. To, um, and some of the basic principles are still used today. I mean, albeit, you know, yeah. not with tree leaves and stuff wrapped around your head. Shashruta <laughs> was a smart guy. Like, he Very really, he covered all his bases. He, he absolutely was impressive does. for 600 BC, I'll tell you that. He is considered to be the first doctor to successfully remove a cataract, which is a little bit different. We'll get into some of the differences and nuances there. But he wrote a treatise called Shashruta Samhita Uttar Tantra. My Indian is just <laughs> as solid as my French, for those of you wondering, where he describes the couching procedure. And uh, he was a strong advocate of dissection of dead bodies and animal studies before he actually tried this on people. And he believed that cataract surgery should be only attempted as a last resort on mature cataracts. And that seems to be, maybe it was trial and error, but a lot of the, as you go through the history of some of the stuff, they they all were in agreement that this should only be done uh, mature cataracts and surgery as, as the last option. Um, he, his techniques actually influenced, uh, other Indian physicians and the technique spread, uh, the theory is that the technique spread to, from there to Greece and China. Um, in Greece, uh, there's the first mention of cataract surgery in about the third century BC. Uh, Hippocrates actually mentions the term glaucosis in his writings, but if you read, if you read it, he's clearly referring to cataracts. And I'm not sure, because we're not talking about glaucoma, I'm not sure when the two terms actually are differentiated between each other. But he and other Greek physicians considered hypochyma, which which was basically the same thing we talked about in the beginning, where the fluid from the brain mm-hmm. comes in and, and causes the cataract. Mm-hmm. Um, they considered that and glaucoma the same disease. And so it wasn't later until Rome... Um, same thing, probably the same knowledge gained from the Indian physicians and from Greek physicians, because we'd mentioned this earlier that the physicians in Rome, uh, early on anyway, were Greek physicians that were slaves mm-hmm. and, you know, eventually became physicians in their own right. Um, they actually detailed the description of cataract operation and cataract was considered the most delicate surgery at the time. This is where we get one of the first descriptions of an actual couching procedure. And the eyesight at that time was not perfect, but a measure of sight was restored enough to where it was something that they thought was a viable option if someone needed to have it done. Better than nothing. Yeah, better than nothing. (laughs) Here you go. This is all you get. 
interestingly enough, they do have needles from ancient Egypt and uh, from Greece, but no needles have ever been recovered by archaeologists in terms of this procedure in Rome. We know it's been done because it's been mm-hmm. written about, but mm-hmm. nobody, I guess, they they had disposables back then. So <laughs> maybe sharps. they packed them all up. Yeah, and they put in this sharps container. So uh, post-op, I thought this was really interesting. The post-op prescriptions, after you had the procedure, they put a big eye patch on you, and they write the name of the physician on the eye patch <laughs> with the prescription that you take to an apothecary, oh, yeah. right? And so yeah. it was not only your prescription, but it was yeah. also advertising. So yeah. you walk down the street, and it's yeah. like, you know, Dr. Clearly- <laughs> so-and-so performed my eye surgery. Pretty, the- pretty smart advertising there. So we get to China, and I mentioned that the technique spread to Greece and China. Uh, Couching was introduced during the late West Han Dynasty, and anyone who wants to know when that is can look that up. And it was also known as Jin Pi Shu. And the procedure procedure spread throughout China and was later combined with acupuncture. And uh, the history of it in China is very interesting because I think later on, as medicine starts to develop in China, they realize that this is not necessarily the best idea at having people who aren't very skilled at performing this procedure. Um, so it was later considered unscientific with the formation of the Republic in China in 1911. But actually Mao Zedong, or Ch- Chairman Mao, he advocated for Jin Pi Shu, considering it to be traditional Chinese medicine. But modern Chinese ophthalmologists are like, no, <laughs> this is no, 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 no. Do acupuncture, but no Jin Pi Shu. So how was this done, right? So it sounds really simple to say they stuck a needle in your eye and removed the lens or, or <laughs> displaced the lens. That doesn't sound, that sounds so gross. Yeah, but think about it. Back yeah. then, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. know any better, but yeah. some, some guy basically had a needle and in some form or fashion, they would have you hold still. Oh my God, I'm so there was no anesthesia. There was no lidocaine. There's nothing like that. And they would stick a needle in your eye. So let's everyone get on, on board with that. <laughs> I want everyone to stop driving and think about that for a second. All five of you. Yes. Stop your car. pull over (laughs) to the side of the road safely and think about a needle in your eye. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I can't even watch people put, put, we were just talking about this, when people put contacts in. I can't watch it. because I just got contacts. Yeah. I'm grossed out by that. Yeah. It just freaks me out. Anyway. So the, the needle that they used to use this is called a couching needle, right? The term couching, I believe, comes from the French. Yeah, it's like laying down. Yeah, yeah, like what we do it's during like the pandemic. It's like to lay down. Yeah, yeah. Netflix and chill. <laughs> or something like right. that. So a couching needle is actually, the because they use the needle, something, a sharp instrument, which, you know, was a needle. It looks like a solid embossing tool without the tiny bulbous tip at the end. My mom owned a yarn store for, <laughs> for a number of years, and I'm very familiar with the craft uh, uh, fabric sewing knitting industry, but I really could not visualize this. And well, that's so, because this is like a paper tool, paper craft tool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what I saw when, when you look up some of the instruments that were, and some of them like in India were really ornate. I mean, it looked like like a, a really fine stylus, yes. I guess. But uh, some of them had handles on them that were like, you know. Beautifully decorated. Yeah, yeah. Almost they were beautiful. like, um, you know, when a, when a, like a king gets a dagger, mm-hmm. especially made for him, mm-hmm. and the handle is so exquisite. It, mm-hmm. it almost is like that. It's very exquisite detail around the uh, the stem. Correct. What, what, what it actually reminded me of is a very ornate, very, very sharp ice pick. That's what mm-hmm. it kind of looks yes. like to me. Some yes. of the ones I've seen like that. Yes. And then other ones just look like sewing needles that, that are yeah. just super long. We mentioned before that this is one of the oldest surgical procedures. And so the surgeon used a sharp instrument to free the cataract from its suspensory tissue 
to push the clouded lens into the bottom of the eye without removing the cataract from the eyeball. So let me just back up and say that to you in, <laughs> in layman's uh, bro terms. Basically, he stuck in, and again, you're pulled over because we're still, <laughs> we're still, we're still coming to terms with the eye. fact that there's a needle in your eye. Yeah. This dude who you went to because someone said you should try my friend, he stuck a needle into your eye, okay? And then he jiggled it around, okay, removing the, because the lens is actually held in place by these little fibers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you described it once. Yeah, I read one place that said, imagine a trampoline, Mm -hmm. okay? So pretend like the lens is the the springy part, I mean, the... uh, The The fibers. No, the... <laughs> pretend like they're pulled the over part here, that Christy. you jump on is the lens right okay okay Got it. and then <laughs> yeah we'll try to make this yeah. quick and then the zonules are those little fibers that connect it and and keep it suspended in its place within the eye would be like the springs that connect the bouncy part of the trampoline that you actually jump on to the outer rigid periphery of the trampoline. Yeah. And so basically what they're doing with the needle is they're going and they're, they're just kind of separating the springs to yeah, free the trampoline. Yeah, they're cutting away those springs. Right. Exactly. And that's yeah. basically what, how the, the, the trampoline is then freed. And what happens to the trampoline? It drops straight down to the ground, right? Right. And so in this case, your lens is going to fall and they just push it down basically into the bottom of your eyeball, mm-hmm. which is laying down, which is couching, right? Netflix and chill. So it displaced the entire lens, but it didn't actually remove the lens. I think that's important because we're going to go into how that technique evolved and the lens will actually go bye-bye later on. Right. So So, yeah, it just moved it out of the way, but mm -hmm. it did not remove it exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Immediately light can enter and reach the retina, which immediately improves vision. So, you know, in terms of your patients, uh, (laughs) how do you feel? Oh, wow, I can see. And so it's still perform today in some underdeveloped populations, which you actually <laughs> yeah. know something about. So, so just to clarify that people's vision has improved, it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that. In one sense, yes, the vision has improved in the sense that now they can perceive light. Because if you have a cataract that's completely opacifying your lens, as long as the lens is, is there in, in its place, that I cannot perceive any light. Once you displace that lens and you move it out of the way, there's no longer a lens there. So your eye can't focus. Without a lens, you can't really see. I mean, you can perceive light and you can maybe perceive large objects, but everything would be blurry like you wouldn't be able to focus because the lens is is part of the focusing mechanism in our eye. So it... it, it it was better than nothing. Yeah, it would be. I think the, the way I think of it is if you took a camera and you took one of the the, the glass out of mm-hmm. the... You can still see through the viewfinder, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be able to focus in on right, anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Does yeah, that that's make a good sense? example. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good example. Thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> so let me tell you about this YouTube video that I watched. And thank God I made notes the first time that I watched this because I was fascinated by this. Sadly, I watched this video like several weeks ago. And then I tried to go back and rewatch it right before this today, because I just wanted to kind of refresh my memory about it. Because it was so interesting. And I could not find it again. I not even in my list of, of like history. I don't know what I don't know where I watched it. Maybe I was I couldn't watch it like I tried and I can't for some reason eyes like I've seen some in my medical career, 
I have seen some gnarly stuff. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, eyeballs, anything yeah. like that, like, ugh, I yeah. can't do it. So, this I could do. This, yeah. this, yeah, I, the, this I could do. Okay, so couchers in modern day Nigeria. First of all, let me just describe this video to you. There's like a team of, of videographers and, you know, a narrator and whatever who are like ophthalmologists. I got the impression that they were there like on a medical mission to so help they're like treat legit cataracts. Optimal. Yeah, they're okay, legit. Okay. Yeah, it, they're a legit it. team. They know they know what's up. Like Doctors Beyond Borders type thing or something? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I, I mean, I, not them per se. Right, right, yes. right, right. I got what you're saying. So, so whoever was creating the video was there just from a purely like, we're just curious about how you do it. We're not here to try to tell you how to do it differently. We just want to see how you do it and document it. The coucher that they were filming he came from a family of couchers. So knowledge in his family of the couching procedure was passed down from generation to generation. And he did a 10 year apprenticeship where he first practiced on animals. But basically, (laughs) they, uh, they bring the patient into this room. It's like a little, it's like, it's like a dirt, uh, dirt walls, dirt floor. They had this little, it looked like prayer rug on the ground um, where the patient sat. <laughs> and so they bring this patient in there. They sit him on this, on this little rug. <laughs> and the, the guy, the coucher that's going to be performing the procedure, he, he barely washes his hands. Basically, he's like, he's squatting and some assistant or whatever has like a, a basin of water and he kind of pours it over his hands and he kind of barely just washes his hands uh no soap no friction no i mean it's barely if you can imagine like a two-year-old or three-year-old washing his hands after he goes to the bathroom this is what this guy did uh but they do wear a mask so so that was interesting that he wore a mask he applied a topical anesthetic to the eyeball which he prepared himself but he said that sometimes he uses western drugs i don't know when he differentiates between Western drugs and his own concoction. Did they say what his concoction was? No, but I was just impressed that he had anything. Oh, so I wonder if this is passed down. I know they didn't I'm elaborate, sure. but it has to be. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that stuff probably does work. I mean, yeah, right after know. if it's been for yeah. a, a family of couchers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Western medicine is not the only medicine. So, yeah, sure. but anyway, so <laughs> then he takes this couching instrument, which he just pulls out of his pocket. <laughs> got this thing in his pocket and he uncaps it like a like a pen okay and um it's not ornate like the ones that we described previously it's it looks like okay you know those reusable plastic toothpick things that you (laughs) you can cap yeah yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. it looked kind of like that but it wasn't plastic Mm -hmm. it was metal so he takes this out he uncaps it he stabilizes the patient's eyeball with his thumb pressed against the patient's eyeball. So he pulls down the eyelid. He puts his thumb right up against the eyeball to stabilize the eyeball. And then he takes this couching needle and he inserts it about three millimeters deep at a perpendicular angle to the eyeball surface. So if you... If you and this is on the lateral aspect of of the eyeball, so which if, is the side for people who right. don't know it, anatomical. So practice. so it's the side not closest to the nose, but the opposite side. So the side closest to your ear. If you take the front of the eyeball, where you can you know the cornea and the iris and all of that. If you pretend like that's a clock, okay, at about the three o'clock position, if it's your left eye. 
If I'm looking at you and at your left eye at about the three o'clock position, so on the side of the, the cornea, closest to the ear, I go just a few millimeters posterior or lateral, like a posterolateral direction. So I go from the edge of the cornea back onto that white part, just a few millimeters. And then I insert it using a, per, you know, having the needle at a perpendicular angle to the, the face of the sclera, which is the white part, you insert that approximately three millimeters while you rotate it. So you're using this rotary motion and you're just inserting it and advancing it. Okay. <laughs> then you advance it and you dig around to detach the lens from the zonules that we talked about. And then you you are just basically using your needle to push that lens down. And at this point in the procedure, you can see the needle passing through the pupil, like you can see it behind the pupil. And you can just see this thing moving around. It is so like creepy. It's so weird. I cannot even imagine what the patient must be thinking. Then after the procedure, <laughs> this might be as interesting as the procedure itself. This guy, he takes the needle and he cleans it with some abrasive solid. And it, it looked like dirt or sand in his hand. And he just kind of rolled it around almost like, you know, if you have like a glob of ink on the tip of your pen and you take a napkin and you just kind of roll it around to get that glob of ink off, he did that. And then he heated the needle tip with fire to clean it. Okay. Autoclave? There's no autoclave. Yeah, it's just direct fire like from a a lighter or something. And then after the patient pays for the procedure, then the eyes are treated with cortisone drops. But what happens is so like, so the, so the couching procedure is done. The cataract goes away. The patient can now perceive light and they think, Oh great. I can see now I'm, I'm fixed. I'm all better. He gets up, he pays the coucher and then the little assistant runs off to the pharmacy and comes back with some cortisone drops, but they don't go get the cortisone drops until they've been paid for. Cause they don't, they don't go purchase in advance or anything. So they have to go send their runner oh, to okay, go get them. Okay. It was very interesting because again, you know, it's like, a lot of ophthalmologists and whatever today are like, Oh, that's a horrible procedure. No one should be performing this, whatever, whatever. But in these places, it's maybe better than nothing. But you know, the fact is, is that the lens, the cataract lens is, is retained within the eye. It's not removed. It's just displaced. And so, you know, there's like rampant infection and, and stuff that can occur because this thing is still there. Also, it can kind of float back up into the place. And yeah, I've, I've read again. they've had to, there's cases where they've had to have it redone because it would float back up and there's fragments yeah. of it or yeah. it would break apart. Can you imagine and, yeah. having to have this well, twice? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I went to my ophthalmologist recently about my dry eye and cause you know, I told you I had those little punctal plugs mm -hmm. put in and one of them fell out. So I went back and I was, and, and he had this little instrument that he was going to use to, to put this punctal plug back in. And I said, said, I said, Oh, you're not about to couch my eye, are you? And he looked at me and he was like, how do you know that word? <laughs> I didn't tell him. I was just like, Oh, I've been doing some research lately. And, and, uh, but he said he does medical missions in a lot of third world countries. And, um, that's what I was going to say. I wonder how, how difficult it was for these guys to sit here and film this and watch and not be like, Oh no, 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 no. You have to at least wash your hands. Yeah. I mean like not interfere, yeah. you know, cause it right, would be yeah. so easy to be yeah. like, well, that's the thing about documentation right because they they um they're they're just there to Tell observe like they're not yeah. really supposed to uh, yeah. 
interfere. Because um, if I'm the patient, I'm going to be like, wait a minute, time out. That dude's <laughs> a doctor? Right? Yeah, he's a doctor, right? <laughs> hey, why don't you, why you know, yeah, get a little yeah. piece of this? <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting video. I wish that I could tell you how I even searched for it. I'm pretty sure I just said couching in ancient times and it came up, this came up in the feed somehow, but. So, Christy, I think, um, as we mentioned, this this technique went on for centuries. So, even in Western Europe, the procedure was still uh, performed essentially the same way that you just described Mm -hmm. it. Um, We actually have a picture that we, it's a a lithograph um, uh, from Germany, I believe. And do you know the name of this picture? I, I think it's just called the couching portrait. But the couching I, portrait. I don't know. It has fancy German writing on the top of it, but I don't speak German. So, uh, But at any rate, I, we're going to try to describe this picture to you so that you get an idea of kind of what, how this was practiced in Europe. And so basically it's a little, um, it depicts the surgeon and his assistant in a small little shop, which looks like any shop that you would picture in any Hans and Gretel type fairy tale. Yeah, but except they don't have a dirt floor; they have tile. No, on this the is floor. yeah, this is that's what I said. Like like oh. Hansel and Gretel, oh, yeah, like yeah, you know, it's yeah, like they a have walls and a really yeah. pretty fancy looks like a stained glass window maybe there. This and, is yeah, I would these people are fancy. Yeah, I would assume up. this is like 15th century. What we're looking at here because mm-hmm. of the collar that the guy has around his neck. Yeah, books on the shelves. Yeah, and they're wearing like <laughs> uh, uh, the big puffy pants and all that yeah. stuff. So yeah. They have books, yeah. yeah so they I mean, they're, they're there. They're there. <laughs> this um, is after the written language was. <laughs> yeah, so they they know what's up. So basically, the 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 patient is seated, kind of um, on a. It looks like a box with a pillow on it, and he's seated in between the the eye doctor's legs, <laughs> holding is, on to his thighs. They're straddling each other. I was trying to, you know softball that one don't but they are out. yeah they're don't straddling out, each other they are straddling each other yeah I mean, you have to be comfortable with there, your provider he's sitting there on this comfortable pillow his the surgeon is sitting there straddling him literally straddling him and the patient's hand is just resting nicely on his thigh i mean they are up close and personal they 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 look very comfortable, not like the hemorrhoid guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like that guy where he was all awkward and in this weird squat. No, these guys are sitting comfortably. Everybody's comfortable. They're... But can you imagine telling a patient like, okay, now sit between my legs and put your hands on my thighs? No, but <laughs> it reminds me of the day that I was doing that procedure and the patient winced <laughs> when I gave her an injection of lidocaine and grabbed my breast. Oh, as if I it remember were, this. Yeah. As if it were one of those uh, squeeze balls. <laughs> and she proceeded to cling on to my breast and squeeze it like a squeeze ball throughout the remainder of the procedure. Um, and she was an older lady and I think English was her second language. And it wasn't, it wasn't bothering me to finish the procedure like that. And I didn't really have the heart to tell her that she was uh, latched on to my breast with her right hand. But I just did the procedure with like that. And, and I Which thought, is well, an that's... example of exemplary patient care. <laughs> I thought, well, yes. this, is, this is the life I chose. Yes. So I would be a little bit nervous if I were a man to straddle this guy. Yeah, it would. It's it's you have to be comfortable. And um, uh, basically the uh, so now the physician's assistant here is very he's very well dressed. He is first so of all. well dressed. Yes, he, looks he looks so professional. He looks hat. even more professional than the doctor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but he's basically holding on to the patient's head uh, with his fingertips from what I can see and just kind of pulling the head backwards. Yeah. 
the surgeon just kind of what you described instead of putting his <laughs> thumb over the patient's eyeball he's basically kind of creating one point of contact to brace the patient's head yeah and then he's sitting just so proudly as if yeah, this he's is sitting so straight up his sixth case of the day you know yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's got one of the more ornate uh, couching needles that I described uh, yeah. that looks more like a yeah, really he's ornate got a ice pick. One. Yeah, he's got a pretty one. Um, but yeah, and he's they're going to town, and he's entering right at that point that you talked about in the, on the lateral or the side of the eyeball. And you can tell that the guy has a cataract because they made one eye kind of more detailed, and the other one just looks like a white yeah. circle. So yeah, and it's and it's also of note here is that, um, and we're going to talk about this uh, uh, a little bit further into the conversation, but. If the surgeon is working on the patient's left eye, the surgeon uses his right hand and vice versa. So he, you have to be ambidextrous, mm-hmm. which would be problematic for me yeah, because... <laughs> I can't even do a lidocaine injection with my other hand. I, yeah, I can't either. So, so what's interesting, though, is there's a small bowl down here, which I'm assuming is just for the instruments. And then there's another couching needle. So it makes you wonder, did they have different sizes? Because I've seen some pictures where there were oh, various yeah. various sized yeah. instruments. Yeah. So maybe they were, you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's an 18 gauge and a 22 yeah, gauge. Yeah, maybe he a, has a preference yeah. about which handle he wants. Yeah, I don't know what's in that little bowl. But. Yeah. And the poor assistant looks like he's like, I am not getting overtime for this. <laughs> he's ready to go. He looks like, come on, let's just, let's yeah. just do this. Besides couching procedures to displace the cataract lens out of the way so that you can at least perceive light and, you know, blurry, (laughs) blurry objects. There was another way, something else that was done called cataract extraction surgery. And just being very general, this is actually removal of the lens So not just displacing it, but actually removing the lens by suction through a hollow instrument. Now, this hollow instrument, this hollow needle has a hole on the side near the tip in which the the still fluid cataract could be sucked out. So if you if you got to the cataract to treat it before it became completely solidified and it was still liquidy, you could just suck this out through that little hollow needle. And this required a large incision in the eye, a hollow needle, and an assistant with an extraordinary lung capacity. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, what a sucky job, pun intended. (laughs) We try to throw in a pun in each show. That was a good one. Usually they come very easily to me. But can you imagine having to be the one to suck out my question Whether is... Whether it's liquidy or solid, not solidified, at all. but gross. Because you've got to get some in your mouth to know that you got it. Blech. I mean... <laughs> okay, Brian. <laughs> Have you ever had that um, that milk tea with those tapioca balls at the bottom? <laughs> no, well, you said three words in one sentence that I'll never, ever experience. Okay, okay. Milk my tea son, with tapioca, no. My son, when when we lived in the same city... My son used to love to have me take him to get this milk tea. And it was like a like some Asian tea house. And um and he would always get the kind with the tapioca balls in the bottom. And these tapioca balls, I would say I would describe the texture of these as like if you if you're eating a jelly bean and you just suck on the jelly bean until the outer sugary colored part is gone and then you just have the the inside gummy part, I would say that those tapioca balls are like that kind of consistency, okay? Chewy like the inside of a of a um, what did I just say? Jelly bean. Jelly bean, mm. yeah. 
God, I had a brain fart. And so <laughs> I was imagining that that sucking out a solidified cataract would be much like how you might suck one of these tapioca balls up through the straw into your mouth because these straws were like really large diameter straws. <laughs> and every now and then, if you weren't careful, it would suck one up. Oh, can you imagine if they swallowed it? Like, oh, it has to have happened. Oh, it has to. Hey, honey, how was work today? Yeah. I'm sure over time, they were, when they're teaching other assistants, they'll be like, only like right. suck for like, right. just because you'll, right. yeah, yeah, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it. I've done it like three times. Don't suck too long, yeah. man. <laughs> Don't suck too hard. You um, know those procedures that we just hate doing? I'm sure it was yeah. like, oh, we got to cataract at three o'clock. Oh, God, yeah. I hate these. There's always some cautionary tale. Like, yeah. Okay, this is what you want to avoid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure they had those too. Okay, so back to Sashruta and cataract extraction. There is something called extracapsular cataract extraction. This was where you remove the cataract, but you leave the lens capsule in place. So you remove the inside of the lens that's, you know, opacified by the cataract, but you leave the lens capsule itself in place. So talk to me in terms of, of, of M&Ms. Oh, okay. So you're leaving the colored candy coating. It, the can, the color the part. colored part on the outside is left okay. in the eyeball, but the chocolate and the peanut is removed. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going to describe okay. to you how Shashruta described this. He took a lot of care to describe preoperative considerations, postoperative care, complications, how to manage those and all everything. So I'm going to I'm going to go through that. There's a lot of information here, but I think it's worth talking about because he went to such great care, but anyway, Shashruta's method was more akin to this extracapsular cataract extraction than than it was to couching. It was believed for a long time that this was Shashruta's description of couching, but but when they translated it, they, they determined that, no, this is probably extracapsular cataract extraction, which is also called ECCE for short. And that Sushruta may have been the first person to actually perform this procedure. Sushruta lived around 600 BC, like we talked about earlier, and he's considered the father of surgery. So in his instructions, he took careful consideration of the appearance of a cataract. So the appearance of the cataract was taken into account since Sushruta warned that this procedure should only be performed on mature cataracts, which is what you talked Mm -hmm. about earlier. Contraindications for the procedure, which are, you know, warnings like you shouldn't operate if these conditions apply, were any condition that the patient may have that would preclude him from bloodletting. So, for example, if the patient is anemic or has hemorrhoids, other things like all of these things were listed, abdominal distension, under age 16 years of age, pregnant women with edema, old age, postpartum, diarrhea, neurological and bleeding disorders, bronchitis, indigestion, vomiting, headache, ocular pain, as well as apprehension to surgery. So all of those were supposed to be contraindications to, you know, having the surgery, because if you couldn't have bloodletting for those reasons, then they didn't want to do the surgery. Additionally, Sashruta advised not to perform this procedure during certain weather conditions, such as extreme heat or cold, or when it's particularly windy. Preoperatively, among other things, he recommended that the patient have purgative laxatives and a massage. (laughs) I like him already. He is so considerate. 
Um, (laughs) Much like surgeons and surgical teams today, there was a long list of necessary instruments and materials which were needed for the procedure. Among those items listed was mother's milk, human mother's milk, or goat or cow milk, and, quote, a calm, brave, strong, devoted attendant to hold and assist the patient during the procedure. <laughs> I like how he he says besides being strong, he had to be devoted because maybe it was hard to... I quit. Yeah, maybe it was hard to continue holding someone while they were seemingly being tortured. But during the procedure, Sashruta's instructions were to schedule the appointment... Fix a particular date and time for the operation and pay prayers to the God. Seat the patient on a chair or stool facing the sun. The surgeon sits facing the patient at a convenient height and posture. Again, not like the guy removing hemorrhoids. The eye to be operated upon is given mild sudation and lids fixed with thumb and index fingers. And the patient is asked to continually look towards the surgeon's nose. The surgeon should hold the shalaka, which is the instrument, steadily in his right hand, gripped with the thumb and index and middle finger to enter the left eye. So, again, if they're working on the patient's left eye, the surgeon is using his right hand. And then Sushruta's instructions are to advance the instrument using a rotary movement until the very specific sound of entry inside the eye is heard, which will be followed by a drop of water. Which which was aqueous humor through the puncture site. So I wish that I could know what that sound me- is like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I knew. Um, advance the instrument until it reaches the papillary aperture. Another translation said pupillary aperture. I'm thinking maybe this is the pupil. Mm-hmm on the anterior surface of the cataractous lens so that the procedure can be completed under direct visualization. So remember how I told you in that video, you could see the needle actually behind the pupil. It was so gross. While maintaining the position of the instrument within the eye, irrigate the eye with mother's milk, human milk, and apply sudation on the closed eye with vata, which are these like medicated leaves. This will prevent redness, discharge, and pain. Reassure the patient and advance the instrument to the center of the pupil using rotary movements. Once the tip of the instrument is visualized in the pupillary aperture, scrape the cataract to disintegrate the organized material. Okay, now this next part is my favorite part. Okay, because this is how they're going to extract it. (laughs) To remove this disintegrated cortical slash nuclear matter, close the nasal cavity opposite to the operated eye and ask the patient to forcefully sneeze out through the open air, (laughs) which is the same side as being operated on while keeping the instrument inside the eye. (laughs) This will aid drainage of the liquefied cortical matter. If the cataract is not completely scraped and extracted out, or if it recurs, then irrigate the eye again with mother's milk, apply sudation, and rescrape the eye. Basically, do the whole thing over again. <laughs> I think I'd be like, you get one shot. Yeah. Uh, even if even if it's you, Shashruta, you just get one shot with me. The pupil should now become clear of all white material, and the patient should be able to see some objects, and the instrument should be removed slowly using rotary movements. So as you're pulling it out, you're again twisting and turning it so that it's you're not just like tugging on it and pulling it out. 
And then it says, a pure, apply pure ghee in the eye and apply the bandage. I don't know what ghee is, but I'm assuming it's some kind of medication. Okay, post-procedure. Again, he went to all these great lengths to describe what should, you know, like post-procedural care of the patient. It says, <laughs> this is also what I love about this too, is that this kind of stuff. Okay, <laughs> post-procedure. <laughs> Place of patient's rest should be in a house which is clean and tidy, <laughs> made on suitable land, devoid of dust, smoke, blowing wind, and direct sunshine. The bed should be comfortable of proper length and width so that the patient can do movements comfortably with a soft mattress covered by clean bed sheet with pillow facing east with some sharp weapon underneath it. <laughs> I guess like because his eye is going to be bandaged, he better be ready to He better be ready mm-hmm. to defend himself. Okay. Posture of the patient in the bed. If the operation was performed on the left eye, the patient should lie in the right lateral position. So right lateral position just means that you're on your side, on your right side, right side down. If both eyes were operated on, lie supine. The patient should listen to pleasing stories, etc. <laughs> Audible.com. For three days, the patient should avoid belching, sneezing, coughing, spitting, trembling, and excess movements. For seven days, no bathing, no heavy food, no brushing teeth, but instead use mouthwash for oral hygiene. And don't lie in a prone position, so don't lay down face down. Eat light, easily digestible food in proper quantities. Take medicated milk along with food and have a massage on the head and feet every day. (laughs) Okay, so wound care. Open the bandage after three days and irrigate the eyes with medicated milk and then bandage it again. And for seven days, continue irrigation and rebandaging every day. Look out for the following complications. Redness, inflammation, burning sensation, gwent due to muscle trauma, uveitis, and secondary glaucoma. If complications occur and persist, try the following. Goat's milk medicated eye drops. Various pastes with different herbs and goat's milk applied to the eyelids and face. Venipuncture, which is bloodletting. And moxibustion on temporal or frontal area above the center of the respective eyebrow. So this is prevalent in Eastern medicine, and this is a form of heat therapy in which dried plant materials are burned on or near the surface of the skin. So interestingly enough, Shashruta, in, in the research that I have, Shashruta pioneered the first uh, extracapsular procedure, mm-hmm. which was a, a kind of a more crude form of it. Yeah. But it seems that that, because we know that everything kind of started in India and kind of spread out from there. So there is a 10th century uh, Persian physician who's credited with describing the first cataract extraction using the suction method that you mm-hmm. talked about before. Mm-hmm. And so instead of having the person blow out the, the lens, you know, by closing the nose, uh-huh. this was the actual with the person with the, with the, the strong sucker. set of lungs. Yeah, with the sucker. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's interesting. But when we get to, from what I see, the, the methods of couching, the traditional method of couching yeah. where the lens is just not removed but pushed down, right. that kind of prevailed until yeah. the 70s. 17th century, the middle of the 17th yeah. century. Um, and actually, I, I thought this was funny. In Europe, couching spread from Roman and Greek influences, but it 
got a really bad reputation because a lot of quack, uh, uh, because you didn't need, uh, there were established medical colleges, but you Mm -hmm. can get away with calling yourself whatever you wanted if you lived in some area where no one's going to challenge you, right? right? And so there was a a guy named by the name of George Bertish in 1583 who wrote, uh, and I'll read this, nor is there any lack of old women, vagrant hags, therica sellers, tooth pullers, ruined shopkeepers, rat and mouse catchers, knaves, tinkers, (laughs) hog bushers, hangmen, Bums, bailiffs, and other wanton, good-for-nothing vagabonds that are performing this procedure. So clearly, this was not something that was was done by reputable people yeah. at the time. I'm sure you could get someone who had more experience, but everybody mm-hmm. considered themselves a coucher, I guess, back then, who did anything <laughs> else. Um, and so it's interesting that before the middle of the 17th century, physicians at the time were questioning and debating over whether or not the cataract was actually an affection of the lens itself where the old belief was that cataracts were the result of the dying of the lens. Um, And so it wasn't until a French ophthalmologist by the name of Jacques Deville in 1747, he's credited with performing the first successful cataract lens extraction procedure, which actually is considered to be the beginning of modern cataract surgery. Deville's surgery, basic principle is pretty much the same as what you described with Shashruta. And this is more effective than couching, obviously. And the reason it's more effective is because you're removing the lens altogether, mm-hmm. right? And so the overall success rate was 50%, which... <laughs> I wonder what couching success rate yeah. is considered to be. So basically this procedure, and, and we're now, we've, we fast forward and in time, we're, we're 1747. The surgeon is seated on a high stool, and the patient is seated on a lower stool facing the surgeon, resting his elbows on the surgeon's knees. Similar to what we described in that picture that we were talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, this is an up-close and personal procedure. Yeah, so, again, you yeah. know, they haven't developed chairs yeah. and fancy stuff oh, back and then. Oh, you know, they didn't have deodorant in those days. Ooh, mm. yeah. And they also didn't breath. bathe regularly. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, all yeah, the yeah, funky you're smells. In there. All oh, the yeah, funky you're places in there. smell. <laughs> That might have been enough to just let me be blind. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. So the uh, the patient's unaffected eye was then bandaged. The surgeon's assistant stood behind the patient, and with one hand on the patient's forehead, using two fingers, he lifts up the upper eyelid, and the assistant's second hand is placed beneath the patient's chin. So this is like a MMA type move, right? Where you just kind of <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, you know. <laughs> so using the two fingers of his free hand, the surgeon pulls down the lower eyelid, and with the other hand, he takes his first instrument. And now this is what we now know as a keratome, which I had to look this up because you described this to me as a tiny, sharp pie server with cutting edges. And I, for the <laughs> life of me, couldn't think of what a pie server looked like. And so... When you saw it, though, did yeah, you? Yeah, I did. I'm you, like, oh, we have... seen a pie server. The I'm reason sure I... One, no, but... the reason it registered is because uh-huh. our wedding gifts. I was yeah. like, oh, we have one of those. <laughs> you know, I didn't know... Was... Everybody who's received yeah, a pie server Yeah, I didn't know it was a, a pie server, gift. but yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a pizza cutter. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. My wife's going to hear this. Like, no, those are round and they... they oh, those are the slicey ones. Okay, yeah. got it. <laughs> and so he inserts this pie server at the 6 o'clock position. Now, instead of the 3 o'clock position, what we talked about with uh, right, Shashruta, the th- right? The 3 o'clock position and in the sclera. Right. So not not along the edge of the cornea. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. a little, it's in the white. It's totally in the white part right. for the other procedure that we talked about. So because this thing is like the pie server where it's it's flat, mm-hmm. he uh, advances the flat plane of it so that the tip goes beyond the kind of the upper margin of the pupil towards the 12 o'clock position. So we're mm-hmm. going from 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock up. In you a know, flat plane. Right, underneath the pupil. so that right. you don't go into the eye, like deeper into the eye. Mm-hmm. You're just going up in the eye. Okay. 
And so the reason that the 6 o'clock position was used as his interest point is because patients were wide awake, no anesthesia, yeah. and naturally rolled their eyes upward, making the incision at the lower part of the cornea easier. And oh, so okay. I guess when people go, oh, God. So it just became a practicality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So after removing the keratome, the surgeon would then insert a blunt instrument, which looks like a blunt keratome, again, like a pie server without mm-hmm. the cutting edge, uh, or with the, still with the cutting edge, excuse me. He'd insert that into the same hole made by the pointed keratome and then enlarges the incision by moving the instrument from side to side in a curved manner around the edge of the cornea where it meets the sclera. Oh, my God. Do you imagine how painful that would that, be? I just, yeah. I mean, if I just scratched my eye Mm-mm. and didn't even have anything in there, Mm-mm. or if you get an eyelash in your eye or even a piece of lint, I mean, it hurts so bad. Can you imagine how bad this hurt? There, there could not have been an informed consent because I would have been like, <laughs> hell no. So, this yeah. is going to hurt yeah. like nothing else. So uh, he'd make the, after he, you know, making that incision, he'd make the incision span from about four o'clock to eight o'clock on a clock. So by doing that sweeping motion, the, the initial incision he made at six oh o'clock would then be expanded from four to eight. So that's a pretty big swath. So the instrument is then removed and the cornea is somewhat flaccid. Next, a pair of curved convex scissors, oh God, are inserted. <laughs> when you talk about scissors inserted in my eye. A pair of curved convex scissors is then inserted and then cuts the edges of the cornea so that it's no longer attached from about the 2 o'clock to the 10 o'clock position. Okay, so when after he finishes with the scissors, the cornea is only attached from like the 10, PM, the 10 o'clock to the 2 o'clock position. Mm-hmm. So it's just attached at the top of the eye. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, so it's just like hanging. Like okay, a, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. okay, it's dangling. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Like okay, a, keep going. Like an open sign. From there, a large corneal incision is uh, made and ends up being about a, a little over 10 millimeters. Okay. Small spatula. Now we're at a spatula. <laughs> oh, my God. A small spatula is then used to lift the free edge of the cornea up so that a needle can then be inserted to puncture the capsule of the lens. Remember, we're talking about the outermost candy-colored coating mm-hmm. of the, okay. of the okay. M&M. And using tiny forceps, the nucleus of the lens is then expressed. Okay. And so that's where we have the innermost peanut layer. Okay. Which so is the then, peanut is popped out. Yeah. They, so, yeah, there we go. They Blech. pop out the peanut. And so then being very careful not to disrupt the posterior capsule of the lens, which acts as a dam to prevent the exit of vitreous humor, he scrapes away the lens cortex, which is the middle chocolate layer. Mm-hmm. Now the patient will be able to see or at least be able to perceive light again. So, and believe it or not, this DeVille's procedure only took a few minutes. Uh, no anesthesia, obviously. I don't believe that. I don't either. I BS. <laughs> I'm calling BS on that one. Yeah, there is no, no way. No, but they probably had to be quick because, again, just like you said when, you know, in other episodes that we've talked about, like, you know, amputation and stuff. I mean, they can amputate a whole leg in, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah, and you have to have this patient, so. this person still enough to be able to do this. It couldn't take So a few forever. minutes, okay. I can, All right, maybe, maybe I believe maybe. it, but from, from the time mm. the, the first incision yeah. is made. <laughs> so no anesthesia, obviously, was used. We talked about that. Uh, no aseptic technique was used, and if people were wondering what that <laughs> means, that means basically like he just went for it. And there was yeah. no hand washing, no like no sterile gloves, control, no, yeah. yeah. No, and so although this was better than couching, we mentioned before, it only had about a 50% success rate, but became the standard of care for a little over 100 years. So a lot of complications resulted from this. So you had poor wound healing, remnants of the lens uh, were left behind and could lead to inflammation, opacification and of the posterior capsule of the eye, of the lens, excuse me, and then infection, obviously, um, any of this. I mean, we, we go through such pains to deal with infection nowadays. Yeah. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. I mean, and people get random infections for something like, 
you know, yeah. nowadays with something touching something unclean and they have yeah. an infection. I'm just scared imagine. not to even like touch my contact lens without wiping yeah. my hands first. <laughs> I don't even want to reach into my eye. Yeah. There have been lots of advances in this ECCE technique and modern day versions actually have a 90 to 95% success rate. Did you know that? I did not. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next thing we're going to talk about is called intracapsular cataract extraction. For short, that's ICCE. Samuel Sharp in 1753 is the dude responsible for this. And basically, the entire lens, including the lens capsule, which is that colored candy coating layer, is removed through a large limbal incision. The limbus is the border between the cornea and the sclera. And the incision has to be large enough to remove the entire lens. So it's, it's a sizable incision. But basically, the procedure is you insert the instrument as if you're going to perform the extracapular um, cataract extraction. You disrupt those zonular fibers that are suspending the lens in place. And this was a vital part of the procedure. And then once he did that, Sharp used his thumb <laughs> to extract the cataract from the eye. Oh. So I guess he just put pressure on just, just the right parts like yeah like Ugh. pumping a zit or something Ugh. i don't know like mm, gross and then in 1957 some other guy <laughs> was a surgeon who i can't say his name was a surgeon who used an enzyme to dissolve these zonular fibers i'd probably rather have that done than the than the needle yeah, I'm thing. good. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. do the enzyme. But eventually, rather than using your thumb to push the cataract from the eye, a frozen probe would be applied to the cataract, which would cause the cataract to adhere to the probe, and then it could be gently evacuated. This was called cryo-extraction. And, Brian, that makes me think of your tongue getting stu- stuck on something yeah. frozen, like yeah. dry ice or something. <laughs> the downside of removing the entire lens is that it requires an even larger incision than ECCE, and this leads to slower healing and also increased risk of surgically induced astigmatism, which is just a fancy way of saying that the eye now has trouble focusing light appropriately and it causes distorted and or blurred vision at any distance. And so a person after this cannot see properly without very strong glasses. The lens capsule served as a wall between the anterior and posterior compartments of the eye. When this wall was not in place, there's a risk that that vitreous Uh, fluid from the posterior part would prolapse forward and lead to complications that could cause blindness, such as detached retina, macular edema, corneal decompression. This procedure became more successful as anesthesia and sterilization techniques improved, but at the same time, advances in the ECCE techniques were also improving and in the 1970s, this ICCE was no longer perform- the preferred method in the United States. But this is still practiced in developing countries. Okay, the next thing that we're going to talk about are IOLs, which are intraocular lens implants. In 1949, Sir Harold Ridley replaces the lens after removal of the ECCE procedure. Um, Prior to this invention, patients were left without a lens and needed strong glasses to see clearly or clearly ish. (laughs) One day, this Sir Harold Ridley had a medical student that suggested to him that the lens should be replaced after cataract excision so that patients can see. And then Sir Harold Ridley said, hmm, I need to find a material that wouldn't be rejected by the body. This is interesting. 
Ridley knew that World War II pilots who'd been wounded and left with shattered fragments of airplane windshield and the anterior part of the eye tolerated those fragments without the body treating them as a foreign body. So he used acrylic glass called polymethyl methacrylate, (laughs) PMMA, to create these implants. Early on, there were significant postoperative complications, such as glaucoma, which is increased pressure in the eyeball, and that can gradually cause vision loss, inflammation, and also dislocation of the implant. The first ones were not flexible, so really large incisions had to be made. Uh, Ridley received a lot of pushback from the medical community, and The procedure has advanced so much now that it's performed as a day surgery with local anesthetic. And many persons today have visual acuity the same day as surgery. Now they have foldable IOLs, which are inserted in a much smaller incision. And actually, Christy, the the foldable lenses actually go hand in hand with the more modern techniques that they use now. So just like your sir, what's his name, came up with his whole thing? Mm -hmm. A guy by the name of Charles D. Kelman. Uh, came up with a technique called FACO emulsification. And so basically what this is, is um, it uses ultrasonic waves to emulsify the nucleus of the crystalline lens and then basically dissolves it, for lack of a better way of saying it, so mm-hmm. that it could be easily be removed. Um, the benefits of it is that it only requires a very small, what they call self-healing incision, and it's same-day surgery, mm-hmm. and uh, patients decrease hospital stay, far less painful. And uh, before that, uh, cataract surgery required a minimum 10-day stay in a hospital. Uh, And there were a lot of complications, like you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, and the incisions were a lot larger. And so Mm -hmm. this led to a whole lot of other things. And so the interesting thing about him, the, he, he named it FACO emulsion. FAC mean, coming from the Greek for the word lens, and emulsi meaning leaked out. So mm-hmm. lens leaked out, right? And so it was basically considered ultrasound sculpting, where you can use the ultrasound oh. uh, instrument to be able to kind of do what you want. The, how he came up with this is he was at his dentist, and his dentist was using ultrasonic probe to do something to his teeth. And he describes it in his in his memoirs, and I'm quoting here, a sudden jolt from the dental drill produced an epiphanous bolt from the blue. <laughs> that sounds like somebody writing their own memoirs, sounds right? Sounds like something very eccentric, a very eccentric person yeah, would yeah. say. And so basically, this was how he had the idea, and uh, he kind of expanded on it. And so he worked on cadavers until the first procedure was performed in 1967. At the time, ophthalmologists, his, some of his peers thought he was out of his mind, and they were definitely skeptical. But they were, sh- and, and they were really shocked at the fact that he was so confident that he was discharging his patients the same day. And so they were like, okay, no. Yeah, this <laughs> guy know. is so cocky. Yeah, you're out of your mind, yeah. <laughs> but it was working. And so people had really good results. And so now, the way this is done, there's a small, like I said, self-healing incision that's made in the cornea, followed by the insertion of an ultrasonic probe with vibrations of about 40,000 vibrations per second, which breaks apart and liquefies the cataract lens without damage to the surrounding tissue, which is really interesting. And so you can go exactly where you want to go, right? And so the emulsified fragments are then, we're not not away from the suctioned out part. You still got to get it out, right? But now instead of a dude with really strong lungs, (laughs) they have have a sonic tip that is uh, capable of suction. Uh And so they introduce another instrument instead of that poor assistant who's got to sit there and suck it out um and then from there the foldable io uh, the uh, intraocular lens that you mentioned is then inserted in to give the person the the new lens uh-huh. and so that's the two hand go hand in hand so yeah and it's interesting because if you watch like a modern 
modern day cataract surgery, um, they have these like eyeball stabilizers. They have all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. You yeah. Know, they like, they prep and drape the eyeball and, and whatever. I mean, it's really interesting. There's, there's, there's one doctor who, uh, films his residents and he talks as the resident is performing the surgery and he's talking through the video kind of narrating telling what the sur- what the resident surgeon is doing and as the surgery is going on it's it's really interesting but now it's all fancy smancy compared mm-hmm. to you know using your thumb to hold the yeah. eyeball in place <laughs> hold still yeah 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 but um yeah that's that's interesting i've learned a lot about cataracts and after they remove the lens for cataract surgery today, they put these, you know, IOLs in and, and now patients, it, it's become an expectation that you shouldn't have to wear glasses after you have cataract surgery. Mm-hmm. So my mom is like stoked about that. Yeah. She's like, Oh, I can't wait not yeah. to have to wear glasses <laughs> anymore. So I guess we were both excited that she had a cataract. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, did you know that, that the famous German composer Bach had a couching procedure I think I've heard something about this. Yeah, in 1759, he had the couching procedure performed on cataracts in both eyes. But one week later, the cataract recurred, and he had to be operated on again. And then after that, he was blind, and then he died four months later. When was it couching that was done? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so I, I we're talking about who's who. Mm-hmm. Uh, the famous painter Monet actually had uh, cataracts which developed progressively over a period between about 1912 and they think 19, 1922, so about 10-year period. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about him is that the uh, he declined surgery out of fear of not being able to, to paint again, right? Uh-huh. And so you could see the, the progression of the disease in his painting during that time period. And so art historians now can look and say, and, and actually scientists have been able to see his colors became darker, poor color discrimination. You oh, can tell, like you can see how he was seeing the world. Yeah. It was definitely affected by the way he did. He wow. depicted it. So. And then did it, did it change again after he had cataract surgery? He didn't have cataract surgery. Oh, he didn't have it. He never had it. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, um, I guess that's a wrap then, right, Brian? That is a wrap. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We sure do appreciate you listening to us. You guys can start driving again. Yeah. (laughs) All right, see you next time. Bye-bye.